Tell me we're on. Am I in frame? Do I? Am I in frame right now? Tell me I'm in frame. Am I in frame? Just my torso? Can we do torso only? You want to go torso? You want to go torsos, Evan? Where do you want torso? <laughs> all torso game. Here we go. Going, this is all an all torso episode. No, we can sit down. Let's sit down. Um, okay, listen, guys. Uh, I need to get a fork. So one minute. This is actually on theme. Come on in, Jason. We're not filming a live show or anything. This is on theme with... We, can we focus on one of these? This is on theme with our with what I'm going to open with today. You're going to punch in? This is Alex Maslansky, a dear friend yeah. of... He's dead. Yeah, he's dead. He's dead. Spot the autistic person in the room, everybody. Um, this is Alex Maslansky, a dear friend of ours and uh, the owner of, of, of Stories, Books, and Cafe. He died at the top of the year. And I did a pencil drawing of him, and we, it's, on the, it's on the ground with all my other sketches at the moment. But that leads me into, let's sit down, I think now. That leads me into, I have to do, um, I'm not going to actually take a moment of silence, but I'm going to acknowledge that. <sighs> Maybe I need my sunglasses. Will you hand my sunglasses? I don't want to get misty here. Uh, I have to acknowledge that a big part of the, the lore, the lore of, I'll say a big, a big part of my personal lore uh, a big part of my life and the lore of, of you know, let's say it starts with my personal lore. That, 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 uh, that animal leaked into the lore of born and raised in the very beginning. And it's a big part of the Powerful Truth Angel show because she was my companion for 16 years. And Omar is no longer with us. And I had to do the very hard job of um, making that decision to let her shuffle off to her mortal dog coil. And this is the contract that we uh, that we sign when we get pets. And, you know, maybe it's easier if you get a fucking lizard or a fish because those fuckers are dying all the time and you really don't care. But uh, I will say that uh, Saturday I made the decision. It was time for her to go. A bunch of my friends said, hey, man, it's over. And I said, OK. And I made the decision. And I will say this about it. I've never done this before. I don't know if I did it right. Uh, it was my first time, and I did it by myself because I didn't want anyone around me. I didn't want anyone to see me kind of fall apart, which, you know, I didn't think I was going to fall apart, but it's just in case. Uh, I did it by myself. I had someone come to the house, and afterwards, I was fucking flattened. I was destroyed. I, I thought in the face of the year I've had, which has been quite tumultuous and wild, that this would be a speed bump. I never, I never did it. I never did. I thought, and I was preparing myself for years. Like she's gonna go. She's old. She's dying. She's fine. And I, would, I would joke about it, but when I actually did it, they, 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 they put the dog in your arms. They, they gave us some drugs. She got high as a kite, and 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 she was gone. And like the rest of the day, I, I, I just, I, I just laid on the couch, and and I was fucked. And uh, and that was, you know, sorry, I don't want sorry. Listen, this is life. This is this is, you know, you get a little dog that that doesn't look like a dog, and it literally looks like a fucking teddy bear, Ewok, fucking uh, uh, Monchichi gremlin, and you live with it, and it, it becomes your partner in some ways, and you anthropomorphize it, and you project all this shit onto it. But at the end of the day, the dog fucking loved me till its last breath and wanted to be with me, and it just wasn't. I don't think it was. I don't think she was happy. And uh, and I listen to people around me when they tell me what to do because I don't know what to do. And, they, and enough people said to me, it's time to go. And so it was time to go. So rest in peace, Omar. Rest in peace. Yeah. And your story brings something to mind for me because we have three dogs. Yeah. Okay. One was our firstborn, if you will, before our human son. 
and he's going senile. He's got what's called sundown syndrome. So middle of the night, he wakes up, goes to a wall and he'll just bark at the wall. And then oh, we yeah. got to comfort him. And then we sleep with them. And then we try the CBD, you know, it's yeah. helping a little bit, but he gets used to it. So that changes. He's 14 years old. He's already survived cancer and eye surgeries and all this crazy stuff. But man, you say with that kind of loss, I think about it every day because the love that you get and the love that you're giving to that creature, to those in our case, three creatures, like the thought of not having them there and Dude, you want to prepare yourself? You can't you prepare can't. yourself. Yeah. You it's know, a, yes. And, and honestly, so when my both my parents passed, like oh. pretty young, so when my mom was dying, she had a she was like twenty years. She had a spinal fusion. Her body rejected the spinal fusion, so she had to have another uh, huge operation to take that out. Then she got COPD, so she was like dying hospice care for a long time. And I'm like, well, I'm prepared. It's going to be easier, you know. Blah blah. No, no matter what you prepare, it's tough. And for you to say you just sat on your couch that day. And couldn't do anything. I'm surprised it was only a day because a dog is family and that's part of you, of your heart and your soul. So, I mean, I mean, the, the yeah, the day was the, that day I was black, I, you know, and I'm, I'm in such denial. I was like in the chat and, and they're like, don't, don't we have a poker game? I'm like, I think I'm putting my dog down today, guys, but I'm like, maybe we'll play cards after. <laughs> People are like, are you insane? Of course I was like blasted. And the next day I went to a Rams game and like, and I, I remember walking out and I got so sad because I was surrounded by like millions of people. And I just was like, I'm in this sea of people. And I'm just like, and it's, it's a deep, it's because like, look, it represents 16 years of my life spent with this dog. And it's not just the dog. It's like a chapter of my life has ended. Like so many things have come to closure this year. It's crazy. So many chapters have ended. And like that one is really interesting because like, the person I was when I got the dog and the, and the journey that she took with me and the things that she saw me go through as a person, it's endless. And it's like you, it's a, it's this thing that's like the dog is a dog and you project a lot of shit onto the dog, but the dog is a real part of your life. And the dogs are all for the most part, innocent, loving creatures. So loving. Right. So and they just, they're your, they're a companion and they, and they just want to be around you. And maybe it's cause they want food or maybe it's cause they love you. Who the fuck knows? But it, it's it's tough, and like people are like, you're getting a new dog. I'm not getting a new dog, not anytime soon. I just I don't have the fucking. I didn't want to think about it. I don't have the bandwidth, and I also very have a very. I have a way of like as soon as I got back to work. I mean, I, had, I was kind of working, but as soon as I started working Monday, I was okay. But that's why I'm working all the time because I'm running from reality. Same. That's, <laughs> right. You that's just gotta reality. you gotta stay ahead of immerse the yourself in something. Yeah. I mean, they say you gotta deal with it. I was always told especially after my dad passed away because he went kind of suddenly is people like you're not dealing with it because I'm go dude you see how much I produce I'm going I'm prolific I'm always doing stuff they're like no you have to sit and internalize it and you have to deal with with it it. I'm not that tight look I like to think that I dealt with it little by little by little over time I'm just not that person that I think there's a phrase in Judaism called sitting shiva where you're supposed to like sit I don't even know it probably but sit and Deal with it, which is probably health. It, it probably is the quote unquote right way to go about it. That's I, cool. Like they should shiver for like two days, right? Yes, yes, exactly. But I, I didn't do that. And something you addressed sparked something with me. So our dog, Bams is his name, by the way. It was Bambi when we rescued him, but we made it Bams. But he, when my wife and I got him, we were in a very tumultuous time in our relationship, right? Yeah. Like fights beyond belief. I was doing drugs, like doing all kinds of stupid shit. She was catching all that. Like yeah. women are so smart and so perspective. I knew I liked And you, she should have left me a thousand times over, yeah. right? But yeah. she was staying with me. But we we're st- it's still not easy. You know, she was not exactly forgiving. She's like, 
anyway, so we get this dog, which was probably a terrible idea and a tumultuous relationship. But honestly, man, seeing her around this dog, before we had any kids, seeing her around this dog and maybe her seeing me around this dog and just having this thing to take care of and that looks at both of you guys and loves you so much. And like I said, maybe it's just for the treats and for the for some turkey here and there. But like we saw each other kind of grow with this dog. And I, I, I say it, it's not jokingly. My wife thinks it's jokingly. I'm like, dude, Bam saved our relationship. Like I'm telling you, because it's the one time that, that that's worked. Because it never works. To have a baby to save the oh, relationship. I don't, don't advise never that. Works. Yeah, definitely don't you, advise that. But at that time and place, whatever it was and serendipity, that point in our lives, it did work. And like, yeah, that's an error. And it scares me. Listen, happy. that dog. I got her as a gift for my ex, Alejandra. At one point, we shared, we shared the dog because I fell in love with the dog. It wasn't, I wouldn't choose. I, at that time, I wouldn't have bought myself a, a Shih Tzu. Like, I would have got like something like a cool dog. It's like I got it as a gift for someone else. But instantly, I'm like obsessed with this dog. Take it to work. It sits on my desk. I started companies with this dog sitting on my desk watching me. Like, and, and I will say that like there was a point at which she gave me the dog. She made that decision. And I was... And I didn't deserve to get the dog from her because I was a fucking asshole. And, and I really was. And like, she did that for me because she cared about me. And like, that dog changed my life because it made me less barren as a person because I had to, I had to love something on a continual basis. And it made me a better person because at the time, I couldn't conceptualize the idea of like unconditionally caring about yes. anything. Everything had to be transactional. And like for me, it was like, okay. And I, I learned a lot. That was a step. Part of my, my evolution as a person was having that little fucking dog. And that dog, like, I took the dog to, the dog is in everything. Like, it's in every fucking photo shoot. I took it to video shoots. It's in music videos. There's pictures of like, the dog, like, I should do, we should do a retrospective of Omar. And, and, and you getting the pictures out of me is going to be a nightmare. So maybe Kat can help. But there's, there's, Omar's in everything. She's in a couple music videos. She's in photos. And she's just a great little creature. And people love that dog. The people love that dog. And I have to, you know, own, I think that, like, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe we do an, uh, an Ellie in a minute on Omar. You okay. should. You should celebrate it. I'm already planning in my head the Ellie in a minute I'm going to do on Bams when he passed away. It's right? so terrible to even think about like that. But I, I owe it to him. I yeah. think I, I have to ask you, how did you come up with the name Omar for a female dog? Great story. This is yeah. the story everyone always asks me. I'm going to tell it for the last time. Okay. First time on the show, though. First time on the show. Okay. Here's what happened. Um, I got the dog at a pet store before that was like immoral and illegal. It was 16 years ago. I pick up the dog. They go, it's a, it's a boy. I go, cool. She had a big vagina. Um, so I just like, that's a puppy's dick. And I never questioned it. And I had the dog. I tell my, my ex, I tell my ex, it's a boy. We're naming it Omar after Omar on the wire. Cause I was heavily into the wire at the time. And I'm at a flea market one day, a couple months later, and there are these women, these women stopped me, this group of women. They're like, oh, my God, your dog. I'm like, yeah, this is Omar. And they're like, oh, my God, why would you name your dog Omar? I'm like, it's my favorite character on The Wire. They're like, yeah, but that's a boy's name. I'm like, what? And they're like, they look at me. They're like, what's wrong with you? What are you talking about? Like this, they're like, this is a girl. And I'm like, what? Like completely hit me over the head. So I take her home and do a deep dive. I'm like, oh, you're a girl. And uh, I remember I called my ex and she started crying. I'm like, why are you crying? She's like, I don't know. It was like, I thought it was a boy. So, and I was like, well, don't change the name. Omar doesn't care. And that's how Omar, that's how Omar got the name Omar. But everyone thinks that I'm like 
hella progressive. They're like, dude, you're fucking. They think I was. They think I'm early with like the the the, the kind of woke politics of like you know. I was almost not gonna ask yeah. because I was like, oh, maybe that's just you know. No. Like, why is he be like it's offensive? Like Omar the girl. Omar girl. Omar could be a girl. No, yeah. That's the story. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like also I lucked out. It's just I got a good one. I got a good fucking. That was a good ass dog. Sometimes you get bad ones. Sometimes people's dogs are little pieces of shit, you know, and they're terrible oh, to be around. Is it the dog or is it the owner, though? Because I'm from the school where dogs have these great pure hearts and, you know, they're, they're corrupted. If if it's a, quote, bad dog, I don't know. I don't, does Do bad dogs, is it, don't all dogs go to heaven? Is that what they say? So, I mean, maybe it's the owner, but yeah. I think, and you saying that too, I think I'm going to do a piece of merch for Omar. It's either going to live at Born and Raised or PTA, but maybe it needs to go to PTA. Yeah. What do you think? We've never done the merch. Maybe we start with an Omar shirt. We we are obligated before the end of the year to do one. Okay. Cat, let's get printing that shirt. Just pull it out of my brain and get it. I don't know. Get it going. Get it going. Let's go. So but, yeah, rest in peace, Omar. But LA is absolutely a dog city, by the way. There are more cats than dogs, but most of the dogs, I mean, most of the cats in Los Angeles are feral. And the dogs, LA is the biggest uh, dog city in the United States. Really? In fact, absolutely. You wouldn't think that. Is it because we have so many people? You'd think somewhere in, like, in the sticks would be... Per capita, we're not the highest. So just in quantity, even more so than you. And you got to figure, you can't have, okay, New York has more people, but that's a terrible climate to raise a dog, right? Yeah. You keep it inside, but you know you can't have a huge wide variety of dogs. So yeah, there you go. There's your first LA in a minute fact. Have there. you been to SoFi? Oh, by the way, this is Evan from LA in a minute. Hello. Hello. I found out about Evan when he did coverage on Sponto. I'd never seen the, the page. Someone sent to me. I was like, this is amazing. And now I watch it all the time. And he just does like a minute on LA facts. And it's really interesting and dense. And he's very passionate about it, as you can see by his delivery. But Evan, what kind of drugs were you into? Was I or am I? Because those are both relevant questions. What kind of drugs are you into? Depends what you have. Oh. (laughs) No, uh, I smoke... A fair amount of weed, let's say that. Does that count? Standard, that, no. Is that, that drug that's like anymore? Standard. Does that count? No. So let's start there. When you were in trouble with the wife. All right, here's the truth. <laughs> I can take a guess. I still would go for pretty much, again, whatever. However, uh, we had a lot of fun with Molly in Ecstasy in our day. Yeah. Uh, my day. I'll speak first person. I don't want to speak on anybody else's behalf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I've tried... Pretty much everything, but my favorite was Coke. Of course, I could tell. Yeah, I'm an absolute... You're not a heroin fa- guy, you're a Coke guy. And here's the thing, I like to explain this. <laughs> this is the truth. I'm not that guy that was like a partier. Don't get me wrong, I like to party too. Go, went out and have fun. But I liked Coke as fuel. So I would be the guy, and this is... I like to do... Okay, so I don't know anybody who's ever done cocaine. Yes, it's hell of a drug, all that stuff. But you, the idea of getting Coke is you get Coke, you cut up, you're going out to party, you're going to the club, all this stuff. My favorite thing with Coke was to cut up a line, leave it on the nightstand, and go to bed because first thing in the morning, I would like to wake up with that kind of... I would like to wake up and get the day started. Here's the deal. I've always been this guy that's like trying to get productive trying to be trying to accomplish things so i feel that that was sort of like a fuel and look when you first do it they say you're always chasing that first line right i was chasing the first like year and a half so i was in sales i was in like the internet this is after the dot it was after the dot com i remember i go to this job because i was a journalist coming out of college and then somebody told me and i didn't want to pay my dues you have to go work in biloxi and stuff like that worked at the la times but they had me covering stuff in orange county which might as well have been biloxi 
back then because I still had to go to downtown to file my stories. It's Friday and Saturday night and all my friends are already out. LA shuts down at two. So I'm like, dude, I can't even do anything. So I got out of that. Somebody told me, get into PR. It's the same thing as journalism, except the hours are better and you're paid more. Sounds great. Apply for this job. Show up this after the dot-com crash. Uh, McDonald's balls in the office. Pastel walls. Girl walks by drinking a beer at like 2 p.m. I'm like, is this real? Like dot-com still exists? Turns out it's an internet advertising firm. Got the job and was introduced. Well, I, I fiddled around with Coke before, but was introduced. <laughs> fiddled. <laughs> so I was introduced to Coke and it just clicks in my brain. Like, dude, because when you're in sales and you're, and this is the first time starting to make real money. So the, and in sales, especially the internet, 24 <clears throat> hours a day, the harder you're working, the more you're making. I'm like, dude, with Coke, I, love I can work like. This is my favorite kind of Coke 20. is a day walker. The guy that does a coke in the morning—that's that's how I got. That's why I'm sober. That's how I got done. I would lay out one line in the morning and be like, "I'm going to start my day. I'm going to rip this line and go to work." It's but, it's the it's the worst. I was it's the worst. But but when you're so it's for the first eighteen months, I'm like, "This is the fucking life, dude. I'm making money. I'm having fun." Like at this point, I had a guy who would deliver and stuff oh, yeah. like that. Yeah, so it's like making the it money convenient. Yeah. But yes, then you get married. The wife, woman, obviously. Way smarter, way more mature. That became a huge point of contention uh, for the next few years and then kind of gradually weaned myself off. I mean, that, listen, this so. is why companies in the 50s would only hire married men because <laughs> married men aren't out here acting crazy. No, Single men are disgusting. Yes. We're up late, fucking around. You don't know if we're coming or going. We got no plans, nothing tying us down. Like, I think that that lifestyle honestly is terrible and wears you out. I think like I think a nice married life, even though it gets really boring and stressful, I think like someone that's like, "Hey man, time to go to bed, fucker." Yes. You want to sit down and read a book? Let's read a book. Both of those things, and it's funny because my wife's starting to watch all these. Uh, she's it's that time of year where she's getting into true crime and all this stuff, and she's like, "So many people were like murdered by their husband, blah blah blah." And they're like, or the survivors are always like, "As soon as we got married, everything changed." And I'm like, yeah, because something clicks in the man's head where you're like, oh, shit, I'm married. And you either go with it and yeah. you're like, OK, this is the right path. Like, she's fucking right. I'm going to be a healthy person mentally, physically, all this kind of stuff. Or you fucking snap because you're like, dude, all this stuff I can do when I'm single is like out the door. So um, very, very, I feel like you should get anything out of your system before you get married. Yeah. You, know, you don't want to go into you don't want to go into a long term contract commitment. Still wondering, like. What else could happen? What else? Like, exercise all your demons, get it all out of you, get the poison out, figure it out, and um, and then otherwise you're gonna be you're gonna get married and you're gonna be wondering what if, you know? Man, can't you're always gonna wonder what if? As as everyone always is gonna, no matter what's going on, you're always gonna be like, God, I wonder if that person would actually fuck me. (laughs) That kind of what if? Okay, that's that's a different what if. Interesting. But anyways, um, I yeah, I, I was thinking about. The idea, sorry, I'm eating on mic. I eat on mic because I just don't have time to do everything. So I have to eat on mic because it's like actually, dude, this, this is, is my break time. I don't um, want to say multitasking, but this is how I am, dude. I'll eat on phone call, like on, on actual phone call. Sometimes you have to, to be productive. And by you I'm starting a, your day the same way I start, you, you have, some people have this compulsion where you're like, dude, I got to do stuff. I got to accomplish stuff. And this right now, this is a good use of time. This is called efficiency. Right efficiency here is what that is. Exactly. I'm on I'm on company calls in the shower sometimes. Yeah. I just mute and I'm like, All I right. ha- I have to kill two birds Let right now. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Are you ever on calls in the bathroom? 
All the time. Thank Nobody you. Knows. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Just you. Yeah. I've been harangued throughout no, the years. Like, what do you do? Who gives a fuck what I'm doing? Thank you. Let's have this call. I'm gonna, yeah. I need to take two to ten minutes to. Yeah, to, I'm no. killing two birds, literally. Thank you. Okay, There's a bird coming out of my body right now. It's going in the toilet. Question, real quick. Yeah. How do, do you enjoy the flavor of this? I love this. Like, love you're it. like young. This is delicious. Love I'm it. on. I'm on a desert island. I want to take this simply three plus with it's me. It's so refreshing. What is it? What is this? You hate this? Have you ever had it? I no. don't hate it. It's interesting. And it has a place, but I'm always like, look, like water. You could just crush. You I love water. It. Sparkling I water. apple cider. Vinegar. I drink water all the time. Yeah. This is a zero calorie drink that has some flavor. I'm I'm an I'm I'm anti-calorie, not anti-calorie. I don't like empty <laughs> oh, calories. Calorie. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't like soda. I don't drink soda. I don't drink any bullshit. I drink water and I drink this shit. I drink coconut water. So I'm into hydration and and you know manifestation and and marination mostly. Um, good philosophy. Yeah. So let's talk some yeah. LA in a minute. Or talk about LA. What do you want to talk about? Well, I got I got one for you. Okay. You're born and raised in Venice, right? No pun intended. But yep. That's where you're from. Technically, I was born in Hollywood, but I grew up in Venice. Okay. Yeah. You know the history of Venice? Somewhat. Abbott Kinney, the canals, all that shit. Yeah, but you know what my kind of narrative is on Venice? No. I feel like Venice has had more dramatic transformations than any other neighborhood in Los Angeles. And that's saying a lot because L.A. is the city of dramatic transformations because we're the city of the future and the city of tomorrow. So Venice, you know, you start with the Tongva Gabrielino native people, right? Yeah. It was a marsh. It was marshes, right? They just used it. It wasn't even uh, necessarily like residents, but it was area you high uh, fish, you kind of hunt whatever little creatures are in that. Abbott Kinney, Kinney comes in, wants to make it Venice of America, fills in the area, builds the canals because he wants to replicate Venice. And it was a success, right? You get the windward pier. It was the place to be. You see these old pictures. People are dressed up. A lot of money down there. Yeah, with the bustles and the big hats and the shit. Absolutely. Do you think Abbott Kinney was like the same way we look at Vegas making a fake Eiffel Tower? Is that the same vibe? Or do you think he got a little more? Is that Anwar? Maybe he's... I, I always think that in that era, and I don't know, that he, it's almost kind of like, well, what is the, what is the intent behind Vegas? Are, are you trying to fool people into being like, this is the Eiffel Tower? Or are you like, oh, it's a replica, so now you don't need to go to Paris or whatever. It's a replica, but Abbott did the same thing in Venice so, in the 1800s. So for the, like early 19th, early 19th. And I think it was, you know, travel wasn't as easy. It wasn't, you took months to go abroad. So yeah, he's really trying to replicate Venice. But what happened? He died in 1920. After that, the finances went in disarray and Venice wasn't part of Los Angeles. So he was the engine that kind of made Venice go. So Venice sort of started falling apart, right? right? And it was in the need to be annexed by Los Angeles. The only reason it was is because there was no beach in LA city limits. So they annexed Venice because it was a mutual thing. LA needed to have a beach. They're like, yo, we're becoming Los Angeles. Like LA was out in downtown near Alvera Street. That's the birthplace of LA. But you're like, you got this beautiful fucking coastline. Let's make this part of our city. Annex Venice, first like formal city to be annexed with a beach, but it's in shit condition. Well, guess what? This company comes in. I think it was called the Ohio Oil Company or some shit like that. Prospecting for oil. What happens? Boom. Not only discover oil, but you've seen the pictures of Venice in like the 1920, late 20s, early 30s, where it looks like Signal Hill. You got the oil derricks and the huge oil rigs all over like Venice. And there was so much oil and it was such a wild, wild west 
that people are buying this land and prospecting here and drilling here that the canals got in the way and what Venice, you know, Abikini's dream was got in the way. So they had to fill them all in. And that's when, uh, you know, they fill in the waterways and that's where the traffic circle like comes from. That used to be, that used to be original canals, right? So oil comes in, but what They used to go that far? Yes. Holy shit. Yes. But get this, what happens when you're drilling for oil? Fucking pollution talks. And they didn't know it to the extent they did now. But what they did know is that the schools that were there started getting oil seepage or oil in the water and businesses and residents. So Venice turned into what was called the slum by the sea. Oh, I know that, yeah. So I remember as a kid, yeah. and I don't know if this is at Venice, but I remember being at the beach and you have to pick oil off of your feet. Yes. There would be caked yes. oil on your feet in the sand. That's exactly, dude, and my parents, my parents would always take me to Venice, right? But we'd never go in the water. I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Why are we in the beach? And you know, you see the boardwalk and all that. They're like, no, no, we'll go to a different beach. Like, it wasn't for the beach. It was just to be like in the community, whether it's boardwalk or like advocating in the 80s and 90s, which is different. But so you get this slum by the sea, right? What a terrible nickname. That's what the LA Times is even calling it, slum by the sea. And then, but what happens, right? When you get low rent, you get people moving in, you get immigrants, you get artists, and all of a sudden you get culture and you get real people. So now the beat generation kind of takes over Venice West, the cafe. And wait, the slum by the sea all of a sudden is an artist colony. What? Talk about transformations. And then obviously the 70s, you start getting the eccentricities and, you know, the guy, the guitar and on the skates. And then you get gang culture and yep. everything. And it's like, and wait, the bikers and the fucking this, hippies and the drugs and, and the, yeah. All that. And then now fucking gentrification. But dude, all this happened in like a hundred years. And Venice, everybody knows Venice. You, it, it, you love it, you hate it, whatever it is, the boardwalk, Abikini, deep Venice, whatever you want to call it. But Venice was so many different things in such a short period of time. And like that's such perfect Los Angeles to me. So yeah, Venice. I mean, come on, board Wow. Race. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's and that's that's right where I where I pick up is like in the seventies. Uh yeah, you know, tell it me, was tell it was a different well, I mean, I grew up there in the eighties and the seventies, I wasn't really coherent as a child, but like <laughs> In the 80s, it was like my time, 80s and 90s, really. And, you know, it's like, it was just like, you know, I had a friend that, that his family was bikers. They lived on the canals and they had this little house. And at the time, it was just like a bunch of small houses, normal, like rentable places, you know, and the people that you grew up with were like, you know, part of like surfers, skaters, uh, parent, children of hippies, a lot of drugs. Imagine the fucking skating. Jesus a lot of Christ, drugs. Like yeah. there's so much. There's Venice has been a fucking hub for drugs. I don't know if every city's like this, but there's something about Venice where like there's just so many drugs. Everyone had drugs. Everyone was high. You go to people's house. It's like you some. You go to some kids' houses and their parents would offer you like coke before school. You know, I feel like, like that starts. That's the artist colony is where that artist, grows yeah, out yeah. of. Right, at least in my in my opinion. Yeah. yeah, and then gang culture comes in. And, then you and the gang culture, yeah, that that was a huge part of it. And then like also you had like you know I remember when I was younger like Dennis Hopper bought a house in venice Great and like boy. it was like a big thing what's up man and um what's up buddy Good, man. uh yeah dennis hopper bought a house in venice and that was like big news it was like oh shit he bought a house in venice yeah. and like so he moves in and uh and then like it, i think angelica houston was dating a a, a sculptor and they had a place near the beach Perfect. and and that Perfect. was cool they were yeah. cool but then i remember there was a turning point when uh what what you just telling him to pop in? Anyways, yeah. Sorry, see, yeah. I'm, my ADD. I was talking to. Uh, speaking of ADD, I'm gonna switch subjects. I was talking to my shrink this morning about ADD, right? Okay. And I was like, "Listen, here's where I'm at. I've harnessed it. I, I have an office. 
I have an office. It's a fucking, it's a design studio. It's a podcast studio. Behind me are paintings I'm working on. And at any moment, I can get up and do anything because I'm not trying to fight it no more. My ADD is rampant and it's how I survive. And like when I need to focus, I do. If I have to shoot a fucking commercial or some content or a film, I'll focus and I'll get it done. But even when I'm on set, I'm still doing like eight things. People come in here and like, what the fuck? I'm like, I get through it. I got people around me and I just got to keep more people around me to keep me in line and make sure I do things and sign things and get things done and I get it done because I can't fight it and I don't want to. I don't want to embrace it. You got to embrace it and make it it. your strength, right? So same thing. I'm Captain ADD or ADHD. I don't know. Sure. Whatever. But the thing, my wife's like, how are you doing all these things at the same time? We're working on all these things at the same time. It's like, that's how my mind works. Some people are like, I need to do this task to completion, right? But you're like, no, I want to do a little bit, little bit, little. It's just the way I need to go and to operate for a minute. I'm working on like multiple episodes at the same time. You figure you want to finish one. You're like, no, like right now I'm working on this part of this. I'm trying to get into this. I'm really into this, you know, segment over here. So it's like you work on different things. You're filming while you're writing, while you're editing. Um, I mean, that's I'm, why it's terrible to be single. Cause you're dating ADHD. I'm ADHD dating. So I'm like, you know, I'm all over the place. So it's like, it's terrible. Um, all right. Well, that means, <laughs> yikes. <laughs> that being said, yeah. uh, it was great to have you on. I appreciate it, man. It's we're going to talk to, we're going to talk to the man Anwar for a bit. Anwar. And then, um, and then we're going to talk to someone else who's going to show up. And that's how the show goes. We typically do 90 minutes a show okay. because I whack it in half and put half on the Patreon. Oh, so, okay. and that's, and the Patreon, just so you people understand, that's where we say bad words. That's where we talk about your sex life. That's where all the cuss words come out. That's where people say things they're not supposed to say on air. You got to pay $5 to hear that shit. Okay. And that $5, let me tell you something. Like I always say, if you don't have $5 a month to contribute to like laughter, knowledge, wisdom, science, culture, culture, cinema, and television, if you don't have $5 a month to enrich your life and make yourself happy, then you shouldn't be living. So if it's either pay $5 or die. Is That's how I feel. Pitch in the five bucks a month. That is an ultimatum. I mean, you can't even get one piece of bubblegum for five bucks anymore. Do you know five dollars? Five dollars is a joke. Five dollars, they, they, just, they, just they just did this in Bloomberg. They equated five dollars is worth one eighth of a penny at this point. So think about it. You're going to give me what? About uh, two cents a year. You can't afford two cents a year to keep the lights on. You can't. Look, Jason's got to fucking shampoo and wash his long, crazy hair every day. He's going to get on mic. They are gorgeous locks. I just want to say this. Uh, our episodes are about, well, you get, let's say you get like two hours of extra content every month. Can you imagine buying a DVD for $5 in 2001? Again, just completely derailed. He's, I call this guy, he's. <laughs> He's like the he's like the he's like in the western when the guys put a blockade on the train on the train tracks and the train's doing like 100 miles an hour he's the blockade that's me I'm going 100 miles an hour he pops up and just throws a hand grenade into my whole entire life and that's what he does and that's why I love you Jason that's the role though that's right? the role I'm no, just general. saying we're creating oh, feature length content for you guys and you're getting it for a premium price <laughs> that doesn't make no you're under it is a- <laughs> it's not a premium price it's a cheap price for premium product you're getting the shit on the low. <laughs> okay, okay. This is cooked crack on the cheap. Come and get it. Smoke it. It's delicious. <laughs> okay. You're the I'm telling you, you can't you cannot get enough of this page. Oh my God. Did you did you guys hear what happened with Kenny Beats behind the Patreon, behind the paywall? He told us some deep dark shit. I mean, he talked about his childhood. We looked at his toys. He talked about his 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 abusive relationship with all his animals. Talked about his beat making process. We gave we gave uh it's value. 
We gave deep, deep. I can smell that shit. What are you? Wow, I can smell. It was great. I, I can when smell he him it, rolling I was up. like, that is fucking dope. Let's I can go. Smell, yeah. he's a, he's a, it's just coming out of the jar, and I can mm-hmm. smell it. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm high just smelling the weed that's in, in the room with me. It's, it smells good. Anwar's in the house. All right. Can, can I give one more freebie before we go? Dude, just dude move, yeah. Get bring it. Patreon. I, I got to tell this because I'm infatuated with this right now. So I'm reading this book. All right. It's called 60 Years in Southern California. It was written in 1916, but it was about this dude who lived in LA from 1853 to 1913. He tells this contemporaneous account. All right. Like when he lived there, it's almost like written like a diary, if you will, but with a little bit of narrative. But the point is, He's talking about this dude, Nicolas Martinez. He was the first street vendor in Los Angeles history. And now you think about this, the level of significance here with everything that's going on with street vendors and it's always polarizing. There's battles and the cops are fucking breaking them up. And it's like, dude, this is part of what makes LA culture. There are 12,500 street vendors in LA city. There are 50,000 street vendors in LA County. That is the most of them immigrants, 80% of them female, right? So this is a big boost for the economy. This is like the people of Los Angeles all stems from this dude, Nicolas Martinez, who started on what is seventh and spring now. And he'd sell tamales and ice out of the same bucket. He had not bucket basket. He had a basket on his head. He'd walk around with, and in his hand, he had this little tray with glass of water. And the water was to like, Wash the stuff that he was going to serve and like, you know, how he's going to, because he used to roll tobacco too, like natural and smoke while he hold, hold a cigarette. That's why I wanted it on his head, but he'd sell tamales oh, and shit. ice. And that was the first street vendor in Los Angeles in the 1860s. And he ended up being known in LA all the way throughout the 1890s when tamaleros kind of took over the LA like street vendor scene. And yeah, LA to this Nikolai, day. Nikolai Martinez? Nicholas, like Nicholas Nicholas. Martinez. Like oh, Nicholas Martinez. But okay. I'm, my accent's probably terrible. Nicholas. Like Nicholas. Nicholas Martinez, if you will. But That's yeah, first street vendor in LA. So think about that. Whether you're going to the taco truck on the corner, you're getting a shawarma, uh, whether you're going to Bridgetown Roadie, whatever you're doing, think of the first without, street vendor without, in Los without, without Nicky Martin, there'd be no Roy Choi. There Shout you out go. to Roy, Roy the God. Shout yeah. out to Roy. He's definitely listening. He's definitely on the Patreon. Yeah. He's definitely bumping this in all his Kogi trucks. Like, give me a fucking break. Again, that was a wonderful fact that you know, Evan bless us with, but get on the fucking Patreon because he's going to tell you some other shit. He's telling you about the deep, he's going to talk to you about what happens, how porn started in the Valley and revolutionized the world of sex. I was doing research on that today. I bet you were, you sick son of a bitch. Beautiful, beautiful. All right. What a fucking show. What a segment. Um, I'm going to get on with with Anwar in a second. You're welcome to stay or you can kick rocks. It's totally up to you. We're happy to have you either way, but I got to take Anwar for a lap around around the office. Can I go on the lap? Absolutely. Okay. You guys okay. want to take a lap? Let's, Let's take, take a lap. lap. Okay. I want to take a lap. 